Hello, and welcome to the Growing Older podcast. We will be discussing issues related to aging, and hopefully uncover some ways to make growing older go well. I am Preston Tyree, and I will be joined by my wife and partner, Ani Colt, as co-host, and you can expect to hear us co-hosting frequently. We are all growing older, so we will be talking with people of all ages about the things they think about, worry about, and enjoy about the process of growing older. Let's get started on our next conversation. For this podcast, we tried something a little bit different. Amy lives in North Carolina, and I live in Austin, Texas. So we had an interview over the Zoom app, and it seems to have worked out pretty well. So here we go with Amy in North Carolina. It's so great to see you. Boy. Likewise, Preston. Yeah. You know, I, I want to set a little context here. Um, we'll talk about your background in the military and all that kind of stuff. But the context for me is <clears throat> when my late wife passed away, you showed up in my life. And, uh, wow, I tell people you were, you were a lifesaver for me. And you just happened to be here at the right time in the right place. And you... You are one of the most open people I've ever met in my life. You just talk, and that is so cool uh, to to have that. And you know, you were here in Austin. You got involved in the bicycle scene. You got involved with me and Stanton. We had meetings once a week. It was really just an amazing thing. And then you, you know, hey, you go off and you move away and you get married and all that stuff. Yeah, but so let's talk about. What was your background before you got to Austin? What happened after you left Austin? And exactly, wow, what you're doing now and where is it going? So take the floor, Amy. Thank you. Thank you, Preston. I um, So like you mentioned, I grew up professionally in the Army. It was my first job out of college. I was an active duty Army officer for almost 10 years. And I was a medical service corps officer, so I um, I ran hospitals for the Army, specifically a combat support hospital, and that was where I spent most of my tactical time. The first five years, I think, that I was um, there on active duty, and then after that, then what took me to Texas, um, and you know, uh, you'll appreciate that I went to Texas kicking and screaming. I had applied for a job working for a general who was in D.C., and I got picked up to work for him, and then he got orders to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, and so I went with him. And I thought I was getting my my dream job in Washington, D.C., um, and instead went down to Texas, but I ended up absolutely falling in love with the place and with the people and with the scene, um, both in San Antonio and in Austin, you know, uh, ultra running was something I got into while I was there. And, um, of course the, the cycling scene, um, and, and I, uh, I also, you know, did my day job. I still worked for the army and, um, and enjoyed my time at Fort Sam Houston and then, Later with the Texas National Guard at the the 36th Combat Aviation Brigade in Austin there at um, yes, Camp, Camp Mabry. Mabry. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, and then I was in Austin for a couple years. And um, like you mentioned, I joined um, the Austin Cycling Association and uh, 
learned from you about how to be a, a legislative liaison and how to do urban transportation planning committee meetings and sign up for my three minutes and um, and watch how the wheels of government work at the state and local level. And I have been passionate about that ever since. It is um, one of my aspirations to get involved with politics at the state and local level and to run for office someday, not today, um, but but to, to go for it and to be part of people who get things done. And so let's see. After we left Texas, so David and I um, hitched our wagons together and um, moved to D.C., where we stayed for a number of years. And uh, up in D.C., I had the great privilege to work for Johns Hopkins Medicine. And so I continued my healthcare administration career. Um, I got some credentials to back up my experience. So I got my Master of Healthcare Administration while I was there and uh, continued serving people and patients in their spaces and and learning a lot. Um, I had I worked for the the chief medical officer of our hospital and um, in care of the medical staff. So kind of seeing the physician needs from a different perspective. I mean, remembering I grew up in army medicine, which is a, a variety of socialized medicine, and things are very different in the private sector. And uh, so learning the ropes that way and experiencing and setting up good systems and service lines that will take care of patients um, at that hospital for years to come. It was, it was a great privilege. After that, my husband got orders to move to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So after we were in D.C. for a while, then, uh, you know, the Army moves you around every so often. And so just for good measure, I think. we uh, he, he moved in there to go to jump school? Um, he had already been um, airborne qualified. So it was really they were taking an airborne qualified officer, an airborne ranger, medical service corps officer, um, and bringing him to one of the one of the places, and now he's also a jump master, and so that means he throws people out of planes in addition to just jumping himself, um, and pulls kind of those duties and things. But, um, so he belongs to the 82nd Airborne Division and gets to jump out of airplanes slash run tactical medical units for fun, or, well for a living, but it's also fun. It's good work if you can get it. Um, so. When we left um, D.C., I left John Hopkins and went to, to Kaiser Permanente and, and was there for a specific project and a specific contract duration. I was not a, not a permanent employee there because, well, I wasn't in the right region <laughs> anymore. And so, um, so I had this great run with KP and we got the project done. Um, it was building an effective director of operations program. So writing their SOPs, imagining what, um, their uh, communication strategy would be like, imagining what internal marketing would look like, writing it down, right sizing the employee base, um, which included hiring and repurposing. So a lot of kind of looking at what the strategic future of the organization was going to need and and what innovation in healthcare might really mean um, and how to program around that. So that was definitely a lot of fun too. And so that was the first year that we were here in North Carolina. And so I was going back and forth to California all the time and um, and not really plugging in the local scene. And so now I have the great privilege of taking my small, what was a side hustle, um, consulting business and making it my full-time 
job and getting out and seeing the local practices here in North Carolina and meeting those local patients. I help doctors practice the medicine they love. That's what they didn't go to medical school to be small business owners. They went to medical school to take care of patients and they're good at it. And I get to be their business partner. Um, and, and you I got a great, them. you got a great website. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't know who did it for you, but it's clean and it's really sharp. I did it for me. So um, that's a high compliment. Thank you, sir. So now I'm plugging in and uh, filling my book of business, reaching out here to the local community. And, and then someday I'll spread a little bit farther. But, but for now, I'm being very regio-specific and, and, um, and getting to know the community that I'm living in. I'm going to post links to your site uh, in the show notes. Where did the name come from? <laughs> so um, I mentioned that I had been incorporated and um, done this as a side hustle for some time. The name actually came from a bar in Washington, D.C., as, as yes, as inglorious as that is. It was me and some girlfriends, and we were imagining what if healthcare, what if there was something like Uber for healthcare and what would it look like? And we were sitting around and in strong drinks and enjoying each other's company and envisioning what the future of healthcare could look like at a bar called Circa. And so um, we literally just took the name and, and I added Circa Health. And so that's it. <laughs> but we're all about your healthcare. <laughs> okay. Where were the hospitals that you ran, Amy? I think that's an important part of the backstory. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, so I was with the 10th Combat Support Hospital for five years, um, and it was out of Fort Carson, and we deployed twice. Um, we deployed to the Green Zone in Iraq. There in downtown Baghdad was the, the very famous Baghdad ER. If you've seen the, the HBO documentary or any of the CNN specials about the Baghdad ER, that was my hospital twice. Um, and when I went there the first time, I was a young lieutenant, you know, still wet behind the ears, didn't know what way was up. But, and then when I went back the second time, I had the great privilege to be in command um, of 300 doctors, nurses, medics, techs, own the property, the plants, and, uh, and to be able to give the physical structure, um, fully functioning hospital back to the government of Iraq. You know, we swooped in in 2003. We took over the, the physical space. We brought it up to date and up to code in many ways um, with new medical technology, better electrical infrastructure, better plumbing infrastructure, um, and, and really kind of brought the hospital along to a better state of being, and then we gave it back, which is the first time that that's ever been done in combat operations in history. How old were you when you had charge of 300 doctors, <laughs> and is our military one of the few places you can do that? Oh, my goodness. It was the only place. Um, you know, they let me do that at the ripe old age of 27. I was, yeah, 27 years old and had doctors, nurses, medics, and techs in my charge, and, um, yeah. So now you're the ripe old age of? 37. 37, <laughs> and yep. you're running your own business. Yes, uh, sir. You're, get, you're starting up your own business, getting it yep. off the ground. Yep. You know, what have you and David communicated so that when something happens to either one of you, the other one has got everything under control? Oh, that's such a... Wow. Um, that's a heavy question. And so, you know, growing up, 
in the military, uh, before we were allowed to deploy, we had to fill out um, a whole lot of paperwork. And some of that paperwork was for life insurance. Some of that was for um, disposition instruction. Some of that was living will. Some of that was, you know, a whole bunch of other things. Beneficiaries, thinking about who you want to to make decisions about you and and your state after the fact. And so I grew up thinking that that was a normal conversation to have. I, I mean, I, I grew up professionally, you know, starting at age 21, thinking that that was a fine and normal conversation and, and that it wasn't super scary. I, I learned later that my parents never had that conversation with their parents um, and that it alarmed my parents that I had documents and made preparations um, for things that they hadn't even acknowledged about themselves yet. Um, and so um, they were very good about, you know, keeping cool uh, as I was very casually like, yeah, dad, you're my beneficiary and, um, and executor of my teeny tiny estate should anything, ha-, you know, and I explained, you know, what my, my wishes were and how that was all going to be handled. And they took it all in stride. But it was later that I found out that that was not a, not a common or, or comfortable conversation for, for most folks. Um, I read Atul Gawande's Being Mortal. Um, as soon as it came out, I'm a big Atul Gawande fan and super nerd. Um, and I poured through that book in about two days and immediately sent it to my folks because I was watching them um, handle their aging parents. Uh, and, you know, everything from my grandmother's uh, moving in uh, for six months of the year with one son and then six months of the year with a different son. And, um, or, you know, my mom's aging and, and deteriorating father who ultimately passed and, and then taking her own mother into their home. And, um, and I watched other people not have conversations and not be clear with their intentions and how much of a burden that was for family members. And so, um, I just updated all of my documents in the state of North Carolina um, because it does matter and they should be current. Um, and so I have uh, I have a living will. I have disposition instructions. I have you know what to do with my with my limited affairs in in the event that something untimely should happen. David knows where those documents are. He. Um, and if anything happens to both of us, then we have backup plans for, um, you know, who who should dispose of any assets we may have and where they go and, and what to do with, with our remains. Um, but so, it's a conversation we've actually had and, and that is pretty normal. It, it is normal for you, and I suspect that's a, a military thing. Uh, because, be. yeah, because, uh, you know, when I talk to people around, it is not normal. And no. we just had a lady on the podcast who does this for a living. She sits down with people and get them to go through that and write down, you know, what do you want done? And, oh, by the way, you are now living and you can't take care of yourself. Somebody is taking care of you. What are the things you don't want them to take away, like ice cream or, you know, the ice cream is bad for you? It doesn't make any difference. You know, at this point, I want my ice cream kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that's an interesting comment that our military does that as a part of just the system. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and we don't make a big fuss about it. It just has to be done and updated, and it's very matter-of-fact kind of routine. And now that the military is primarily a volunteer operation, uh, we're not getting it like I'm sure when my dad went through, and my dad was in the 101. I don't know if you remember the discussions, but he was in the yes. 101. And uh, I'm sure when he went through, I mean, all the young, act, able men were in the military at one point. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and so today that's not true. But I love the idea that they're going through all that process. Yeah, yeah and just the the normalcy around it, you know. Um, and I think I was able to translate some of that to my family uh, by very just kind of dispassionately saying, this is what I want, and, and are you having these conversations with your parents? Are you able to have your conversations with, with your parents? Um, it was one of my adulting moments where um, I got to lead up and coach my parents through something that they they didn't, you know, have a, a roadmap for themselves. So 37, um, <laughs> how, you know, one of the questions I love to ask is, in your mind, what's the vision for the end? My grandparents all lived into their late 80s, early 90s. My doctor says with today's medicine, I'm going to live to 100 because of that background. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always thought 92, 95, somewhere in that range. You know, I mean, that gives me almost enough time for another career. Absolutely. And so the question that I have for you at 37 is yeah. what does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have my... um my professional vision for for what success looks like um, in 2020 and what success looks like in 2030, and it's um, growing this firm and it's recruiting people and being an economic driver in this region um, and and creating jobs for folks. It is um, diving into local politics. That whether that's my whether that's my second act or whether it's in conjunction um, with is um, is going to be state and local politics. Um, in particular, I would love to run for a state house or state Senate um, and be in Raleigh. It's a part-time legislature, just like Texas. And, um, and I think that's good. <laughs> I think um, it keeps people, it keeps our elected officials close to the people who elected them and close to the problems and, uh, realities of, of the economy and the state. And, and also just like having my first observation in Austin, you know, that's where stuff gets done. It's at the state and local level. And you can actually go to an urban transportation planning committee meeting, sign up for your three minutes for where new bike lanes should be. And they actually get painted, you know, and things get rearranged and moved. And there are new bike lanes that, that we, advocated for. And that was just so cool to, to see how it worked in real life. Um, and then immediately contrasted with moving to DC and how it didn't work in real life and, and um, seeing how the federal government just is so clunky by comparison to state and local um, levels. Yeah. I, I think my first act is going to be as productive as I can make it. And geared towards I also have a nonprofit. Um I founded a nonprofit last year. If you want listeners to know about that, it is yes. 
ncpopuphealth.org, and we've been doing health education events. And thanks to one generous donor, um, we were able to purchase a bus um, and turn the bus into a, a mobile doctor's office. So we're taking medicine to the people. So my my goal with this first part of my life is to be as productive as possible and give as much back as possible, um, whether that's being an economic driver, whether that's being a, a common sense legislator, or whether that is running a nonprofit, or whether it's some combination of all three, um, that's that's the first part. And then, um, and then the next part is to stay involved and to continue volunteering and to continue um, leveraging whatever clout I may have built um, through volunteering and serving publicly. Um, to continue working for the communities that I live in. And that's always going to be something really important to me. I may not wear a uniform, but I still serve both as an army wife and, and like for my community. So, um, and that's just the value I think that, um, I think I was raised with, but also really kind of ingrained with the, the military service. But what do I see? I see being an independent liver, until I'm probably a hundred or so. I have this, you know, there's genetic history that in David's family and in my family that it's probably going to be me that lives out like much longer. David and I will prepare for me to be a, a cranky old widow lady for a while. I'll have lots of dogs always, always, but to be as independent as possible and to be as engaged with my community as possible up until the bitter end. Sounds like slide in sideways, right? There That's we right. go. Yeah. How is David? David is wonderful. David is currently uh, not in this country. Um, he is away with the 82nd Airborne. He was part of that group that activated at the very beginning of the year with the whole Iran hubbub. Okay. We'll pray for David. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I just I got the biggest kick out of two y'all when you lived here and. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you were a godsend to me, and I appreciate that. We're going to wrap it up, but I'd like to ask one more. What are you doing to grow spiritually? Ooh, that's a that's a really deep question. Um, this is something um, very fascinating. I think I think a lot of people don't think about and focus on their spiritual growth. Um, and it's an interesting thing to negotiate with a spouse as well. Um, I personally, um, I keep a gratitude journal and every day um, on one side, I write all of the things that I am grateful for and all of the, you know, the thanking the universe for the gifts that I have and have been given. Um, and on the other side of the page are my goals and uh, and what I still expect from the universe um, and what I'm still driving towards. Um, and spend time actively thinking about my relationship with myself and with the world around me um, and um, and that does include that does include some traditional spiritual growth ways and um, it does um, include having those discussions with David as well um, and some of that is 
very, you know, traditional. We grew up in, in Protestant Christian households and we still have copies of, of the Bible around our home and we still read it and appreciate the history and the tradition that's um, in there. But then it's um, spiritual growth is so much more than um, once a week getting lectured at and and thinking that that's going to feed your soul in the way that um, conscious um, living and and choices will feed that need. So. Now my, my new wife, Annie Colt, has started yep. something called We Are All One. She, with the with the coronavirus thing and everything where we're not supposed to shake hands, she decided this would work. From the heart to you. From the heart to, to you. you. And the W for we are all one. And there's the one. So it's like that. And it's really picked up here in the neighborhood. People, That's You awesome. see people doing this, you know, and it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. So. That's so cool. We'll leave it at that. And thank you so much. Uh, may come back sometime because we didn't cover half of what you're doing. And uh, maybe get David in a conversation somewhere along the line. Absolutely. I've, I've got a letter that my dad wrote uh, during World War II. Uh, and I, I think I can find it. Maybe not. Uh, and he said, you know, I'm not sure why I'm doing this. We are jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. So... Tell David to uh, I wish him well, and uh, when when you see him again, and uh, we'll see how this works out. Thanks, Amy. This has been so great. Oh, you're so welcome, Preston. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. That wraps up another Growing Older podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and maybe learned some things to help you age well. This is Preston Tyree signing off.